Welcome to the Our Lives podcast, which is hosted by me, Nahala Summers. I have the privilege to chat, meet and drink tea with people who have a terminal or chronic illness. Their stories are powerful beyond words, so I won't try to explain the effects each one has had on me. I'll let you decide for yourself. Inspiration comes from those willing to share their story. Thanks for listening. Fee Munro is an author, researcher, blogger, and is regularly in the media. Her key message is one that I too carry in my heart. We both believe in the power of living with the knowledge that we could die any day and that theory really allows you to live with your whole heart. Although the difference is Fee learnt this tough lesson through having stage 4 ovarian cancer. In this episode I ask some unusual questions which allows Fee to talk openly about her life and what has made her who she is. What you'll also love about this episode is it is a story of when life throws you lemons you can indeed make the sweetest lemonade. I finished recording this podcast with a profound sense of connection and love for Fee, and I think you will too. Thank you so much, Fee, for coming on to the podcast, Our Lives. I'm completely honoured to have you on here. I can't tell you, you know, all the stuff that you put out there into the world is inspiring, and I'm sure you hear that a lot you know I just see it all over all over your website all over your comments um I guess to start with it would be great if you (laughs) if you started to tell me your journey really about you who you are and and just a summary of that brilliant it's so good to be here thank you for asking me um yeah I'm really honored to um to be able to share my story through your platform so thank you Mm. Um, so my story really, um, I'll take you right back to the beginning. So I was working in a really stressful corporate job. I was working for the NHS and the Scottish government. Um, I was commuting four hours a day. Um, I was working as a researcher in healthcare improvement. And I was just really, really stressed. I'm really in this constant pursuit of success that so many find, so many of us find ourselves mm-hmm. in um, and chasing that ever elusive happiness so I'd be working these long hours I'd be working out in the evenings um I'd be um you know I was doing additional training in the evenings um in courses and stuff and I just never stopped and um and then suddenly I had this like what I say is like the first wake up call which was in August 2015 um I had an ectopic pregnancy um that wasn't detected and I ended up it ruptured mm-hmm. and I ended up having emergency surgery due to um internal bleeding and my heart stopped on the operating table wow. and I I always say that that should have been my wake up call but um it wasn't <laughs> so <laughs> Instead, I um, I became really quite self-loathing after that, really punishing my body. I really thought I'd done something wrong. And, um, you know, looking back with hindsight, now I really, uh, you know, I was working out more and I started training for London Marathon and I was working longer hours and I got a promotion and, you know, all of this stuff. And then during that, I was just getting sicker and sicker. I was getting a lot of abdominal pain. 
I was just feeling really, really tired. And I kept taking this as a sign that, um, you know, I wasn't doing enough and I wasn't pushing myself enough. And, um, but me, my GP on a regular basis. And I started to worry that I had ovarian cancer. Um, I was aware of the symptoms. And so I was constantly asking and I kept getting told that I was, you know, too young. I was only 30 at the time and being told that it was likely what I was experiencing was um, a psychological response to the ectopic pregnancy. But um, that may have been part of it, but I was still very, very aware of these physical symptoms. And so I um, kept pursuing and in the end demanded that I had a scan. And it was off the back of that that a few months later, I um, discovered that I did have ovarian cancer and that not only did I have ovarian cancer, but it was late stage. It spread throughout my abdomen and into my chest cavity. And I was now classed as um, incurable. And that became my massive wake up call. That was like the, <laughs> there's no going back from that. So, <laughs> and I completely changed my life off the back of that. And um, you know, that was in January 2016, I finally received my diagnosis. And mm. since then, everything has changed. And as you know, I'm still classed as terminal, I still have tumours, some of them um, are growing. Um, I've been through a lot in the last three years, which I'm sure we'll chat about. But I still say that I am grateful for my diagnosis, because my life is so much fuller now. I left the corporate career, I completely changed my life. And mm just my appreciation for life now is um nothing else would have brought me that mm, wow what a, a <laughs> powerful <laughs> abbreviated summary of um of life really uh, absolutely astonishing if i take you back just to try and get a, a better of understanding of who you were even before your corporate career yeah and i take you back into your childhood what did your childhood look like did you grow up in scotland and and, and what did that look like um i grew up in the channel islands so i grew mm. up on um guernsey a tiny island which i believe is like nine miles by 12 miles and it's just this one of the most beautiful places you can have a childhood in. Mm. It's um, for those who don't know, it's uh, between England and France. It's closer to France, although it's part of the UK. Um, it's it's just this lovely community. It's there's just beaches, and um, I just had so much freedom in my childhood to kind of just walk and cycle on, you know, on like cliff paths, and just really lovely, lots of sunshine and play and joy and um I've got two older sisters there there's we've got quite a bit of an age gap and so I always like felt I had a lot of community and support around me and then um when I was 12 we moved to Scotland so we, I was born in Scotland I moved to the Channel Islands when I was a baby but um and my dad is Scottish and my sisters were born in Scotland so we all moved back to Scotland we moved to Dunkeld and that was you know it still had all that lovely nature so um I'd moved from I guess like the sea and cliffs to like woodlands and river and so mm. I've def I've maintained this really deep connection with nature and it's so important for me through my childhood through my teenage years and through my adult life as kind of like my sanctuary actually um and I think that's definitely come from those years on Guernsey yeah what, what were the things that, because you obviously were in Guernsey for a lot of your school life, what was the things that you loved at school? Oh, wow. 
God, I've never been asked these questions. I love it. <laughs> it's totally catching me off guard. Um, so at school, I was really into um, into art and creativity and um, making stuff and creating stuff and, um, you know, kind of in Guernsey, that was kind of my main thing. And then when we came to, over to Scotland, I kind of discovered more of like the sciences, um, you know, when I went to secondary school and and all of that and I just I love learning stuff I just that's something that even now I still do I always feel I have to be on some kind of training course because I just love to really get into something and to learn something and to question it um, and then to build my own perspectives based on kind of the knowledge that's there so I guess I've always been looking back through my school years I've always been a researcher actually <laughs> um, just really nosy I just like to know everything <laughs> But I also love to create and I love um, I loved writing at school, but it's quite funny. I remember my English teacher used to tell me I was rubbish at English and I started off in this in the bottom English class mm. and then I worked my way up and I ended up in the top English class and she kept saying, well, you're not going to get very good results. And then I got an A and um, she phoned the SQA to check they hadn't made a mistake. Oh, and- <laughs> She found out I got it was something like ninety six percent or ninety seven percent, and she's like, "Well, I think it was a fluke." So now I always laugh that I've written a book. I'm kind of like, <laughs> I'd love to meet her, but like, but look, <laughs> you need to find her and send her a I copy do of send your her book. A copy. Might annoy her. <laughs> do, do you think that that creativity and love for nature has supported and helped you through the tough times that you've gone through in the last three years oh absolutely um I like I can feel it when I'm feeling stressed out I'll say to my husband I I need to go be with my trees and I'll just go go for a walk on my own in the woods and it's just that kind of like that calming and that grounding and there's something for me about nature of how you know I say like it, nature doesn't get sad when it's winter like it knows that there's going that spring is coming so like the natural flow of life is that we have good times and bad times and you kind of just have to ride them out and nature for me is that you know that real lesson in that that real visual mm-hmm. lesson and also it's always there it's like that um constant support um and so I just find that really really helpful for me and then the creativity the writing has been invaluable for me as a way of just processing stuff and offloading stuff and dealing with stuff and and also that's then led to a community off the back of that so when I first started blogging I didn't tell anyone about my blog it was very much I was writing for my future self and then people started to find it and then it kind of snowballed and then the kind of ripple effect of that was this community of other people in a similar situation to me or who were supporting people in a similar situation or more recently, people who just um, who haven't been touched by cancer, but who want a bit more insight into their own life and how they can take the lessons that I've had and apply them to their life so that they don't mm. need to go through those lessons. So, yeah, the t- creativity and nature, I just would have been lost without them. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about you have two sisters yep. um, that are older than you. Yep. Um, did you find that that was a challenge with, with the age difference between you both? Um, no. So my eldest one, um, she's she almost became like, I think she quite mothered me, which is lovely. Oh. Um, 
And then the other one, I think she was probably more bothered about the fact that I came along when she was five and uh, yes. was a bit like, oh, I thought I was the baby. But, um, <laughs> you know, they're brilliant. And we're all so different, which is really lovely. Um, and we're all really close. We've got a really close family, which is nice. My family's quite small. It's just um, I don't really have any aunts or uncles or my grandparents have all passed away. So it's just my parents, my sisters and their husbands. And one of my sisters has got four kids. Mm-hmm. And so we've got like the 12 of us. Or I feel like we're like this gang it's really nice and we do a lot together um, and that feels really lovely having that kind of tribe mm-hmm. um, and that because we're all so different you can reach out to different members of the family for different things. I think the only thing I found in um, when I was in Guernsey my eldest sister um, she speaks a lot of languages she's very very bright and she was head girl and then so then I go to school and I'm like this creative really talkative annoying person <laughs> And it's, it's big shoes to fill. So yeah, I'm kind of yeah. glad I had the middle sister between us who was a bit more rebellious because that kind of <laughs> took the pressure off of me a little bit. So, um, yeah, because that can happen in schools, I think, where yeah. they expect you all to be the same and actually we're all very, very different. And what was nice when I went to Scotland, uh, by the time we moved to Scotland, my sisters had both left school. So I, it, as far as the teachers were aware, I didn't really have siblings. So it was almost like being an only child. And so yes. there was no comparison and I was just, I was still the annoying talkative uh, pupil, but um, it was, there was no like, why can't you be like your sister? <laughs> so, <laughs> so why can't you speak all these languages yeah, and do well? Yeah. And just study. <laughs> yeah. But I think looking back, I just got bored. I just, um, the work I was doing didn't challenge me. And so I do the work. So I think that's what annoyed the teachers. I got good grades, but then disrupted everybody yeah. else by talking. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Do um, I mean, obviously, the answer is not going to be your English teacher to this question. But do you <laughs> have did you have somebody or do you have somebody now that really kind of inspired you, um, supported you at, at any point within your life or within your childhood that was particularly special to you? So at school, I had this art teacher and um, she was just amazing. She um her name was Mrs. Carr, and she was just so supportive of how my creativity was different, um, really encouraging, really nurturing. And she really saw with all our pupils that when we were doing art, it didn't have to be like in this textbooks way that we could express ourselves in a different way. We had a really good relationship. And then when I went to uh, university, my undergrad was in product design, and I had... Um, I had tutors there that were just similarly really, really supportive. So a part of the product design degree was technology. And um, when I did my final piece for the degree, I was doing um, basically plates and stuff to help blind people eat. And I kept Mm. getting told that, um, but you don't have technology in these, they need technology. And I'm like, but I've worked with the users and they don't want technology. And having this constant argument, but there was lecturers who were like, yeah, what you're doing is right. Like you're listening to your user, you're doing the research and you're not um, just fitting in a box for the degree. So I felt like I was a bit of a maverick there, but it was really nice to have that support from some of the tutors that saw beyond that. And recently I did the book, I don't know if you've heard of it, The Artist's Way. Mm. Um, and it asks you in that to reflect on people that have supported your creative career and to write them letters, which I did. And I said, I reached out to that art teacher and I reached out to these tutors and I wrote them a letter and that just felt really nice and I got responses about how 
you know, it's when they're doing their career and you don't know if you're actually having an impact, but then years later to get that to say, actually, I wouldn't be where I am if you hadn't supported yeah. me in what I was doing. And it's so valuable um, yeah. to support people in their uniqueness. Yeah. It's as I talk about the ripples that we that we don't know about yeah. and that we don't know the impact of what we start, really. And that can be positive or negative. Um, but sharing that is so important. I think that letter idea is a, a really beautiful one. Um, we're going to touch on the kindness thing because we yeah. have that very much in common, the kindness theme throughout our life. And I think that comes from adversity. Um, yeah and um and all of that but i mean let's let's talk about it now so so you because we we do have the similar theme of kindness but you have something quite unique you you do the random acts of kindness yep so um i'll start at the beginning with that with my um had this big operation a few months after i was diagnosed and i had um quite a few organs removed it was massive surgery and as a result, because I've been so active before um, and I was suddenly bed bound, um, it really hit me at an emotional level. And my middle sister um, spotted this and um, her and her eldest son, who at the time was, I think he would have been nine. Um, they decided that they'd hold a coffee morning to raise money for ovarian cancer, but also to raise money for my <clears throat> husband and I to treat ourselves. So. They raised a thousand pounds and 500 pounds went to target ovarian cancer and they gave me and you in 500 pounds and said you know go and treat yourself and I said to my sister you know I don't want I can't spend 500 pounds on myself I said so many people have cancer I'm not gonna financially benefit from it that doesn't feel right mm. I says I want to give it to charity and she said no and she's pretty scary so um <laughs> as big sisters are yeah. um, and you had to come up with another solution so at the time I was reading a great book called The Power of Kindness and that was mm. talking about how um, kindness is so beneficial not just to the recipient but also to the giver mm. and I've always been interested in random acts of kindness and so I said to her right this is my idea I'm going to split this up into 20 pound notes I'm going to put them in envelopes with little cards listing the symptoms of ovarian cancer on one side and the random acts saying it's a random act of kindness on the other side and I'm going to hand these out to strangers and then I argued that this would benefit me and all of this and she's like yeah okay that sounds all right so um <laughs> that's the journey we embarked on and so we started with 500 pounds um and then people started uh donating money to the kindness pot and then I won an award for my blog and the prize money from that I added to the pot so the pot's are always growing over the last three years and um I think I've given out It'll be well over 100 now and it's it's just amazing um the first one i did i was terrified it's really weird going up to a stranger and handing them money mm. and so i um i was in this cafe with my husband it was the first time we'd been out since uh, my surgery and um, i was feeling well enough to be out and about and we were sitting in this cafe and i noticed that um everyone around me all these people um you know, out for lunch and stuff with their friends or their family, were all sitting on their phones and there was so much silence in the cafe and yeah. no one was engaging with anyone. And I just spent eight weeks in hospital, two hours from home. And like, I would have given anything to have been in an environment with people that I love. And I just yeah. was so aware that people were just letting their life slip past. 
But then I noticed that there was these two women at the table next to us and there was not a phone in sight and they were just laughing and chatting. There was so much energy. And I says to my husband, I says, they're going to get the first random act of kindness. So as we left, I near threw this envelope at these poor women. <laughs> didn't say anything, just like chucked this envelope at their table and hobbled away and it didn't expect to hear anything. But um, they shared it on Facebook and it went viral and the press picked it up and the press got in touch with me and I met the women, lovely, lovely women. And as a thank you, so I'd given them £20, which just about probably covered their lunch. Um, as a thank you, they both decided to do a bungee jump for Macmillan and oh. they raised over £4,000. Wow. And I was just like, whoa, there's something here, right? You know, this £120, look what that's led to. Yeah. And um, it was, it's just similar stories like that. And, you know, one of my other favourite ones is, um, so I now blog about the Random Acts of Kindness, so people will get one and then they might see the story that I've written. Um, and so I wrote, I handed one to a man because he really reminded me of my late granddad and I was really close to my granddad and he died a couple of weeks after um, I had the ectopic pregnancy so at a really hard time yeah. in my life and he was just a beautiful loving man and this man just looked like him like I was watching him with his family and I was thinking he's just reminded me of him so much so I handed him this envelope and uh, I don't throw them at people anymore I do hand them to them <laughs> got a bit more You've confident learned. I have yeah <laughs> And I wrote on my blog why I'd given it to him and he read the blog post and he now hands out his own random acts of kindness in Aberdeen where he lives, but he signs them love granddad. And I love, oh. I just love that. It's just so beautiful and it's so nice. And I just love all these stories and quite a few of the people that um, have received one from me do now hand out their own. And so I love that it's constantly growing and it's just that reminder when we look in the media we can think how bad the world is but actually when you get on a one-to-one -one level people just want to be kind and they just want to be heard and they just want to be seen and that's really what these random acts of kindness have done and they've given me such insight into people's lives because more often than not they'll send me a message afterwards about what they've been going through and how the random act of kindness came out at the right time and it's just yeah. really it's really special and it's it's one of the greatest gifts that I got from my diagnosis and yeah. it's actually my next book will be um, all around amongst kindness. I'm going to put all the stories in a book oh, wow. because it's just so important, I think, to get yeah. that out. Yeah. I don't know. You may not be aware, but I started an obsession with kindness after my partner passed away and uh, set up Sunshine People. Oh, I don't um, know. Wow. And, uh, and and so you're just speaking my language, really. I'm kind of weeping here as you tell your Aww. story because it's such, um, it's so powerful. I mean, I, I decided that I didn't want it to, his life to be about money. And so yeah. I started doing something every year. And this year I walked 500 miles. Last year I cycled across America and I asked people to go out and do an act of kindness for a stranger rather than donate money. And it starts these kind of ripples. And as you're talking, you know, you've you've captured it so beautifully. You know, what I don't get all the time, and I get some of them, is the the impacts of it. Um, but you've captured that beautifully. And it's so important that we share it. You know, I, I was having a conversation with somebody last week and they said, oh, what would you say to people who are naysayers about it? And I'd say... I say we, sh we need to be having a conversation about kindness now more than 
ever do we need to be doing that because you know you as you have quite rightly said you know you can concentrate on what the media says and the negativity and what that brings or mm -hmm. you choose to focus on the kindness because if you're not focusing on kindness the alternative is just negativity and hate really so well, exactly yeah i love that it's awesome tell me about i also had a an amazing grandfather who i miss dearly um what what was the qualities of your grandfather that made him so special he was just he was always happy like he was one of those people that just never complained and he had I many he had he'd had a heart attack and he'd had um prostate cancer and he just but you just wouldn't he he just wouldn't chat about that he just was this incredible real cheeky flirtatious man and he just adored my grandmother like it was just like he just loved the ground she walked on and it was really beautiful but within that was also really cheeky and flirtatious with everyone which I really liked that he'd found yeah. that balance and he just uh, it was really special and I just um every memory of him is just joy and food he loved food and I <laughs> love food um so he's a Guernsey boy he's why we moved to to Guernsey and um he's ex-army and we've got photos of him um, on our staircase of him when he's in the army and, and when he's with my gran and he's just in every photo he's just so smiley like I just couldn't imagine him complaining about anything no. and um, yeah just a lovely man and he just loved his family so much um, and I remember when he died uh, my gran had died uh, in the January and he died in the September and um, when he died, I asked, I wanted to see him. And I remember just sitting with him after he died. And it was just, that for me was my first real encounter with death because I hadn't sat with my gran when she died. I hadn't been ready for that. Um, and then, but sitting with him, it was just that peace, just that absolute peace. And even just him lying there, I just, it gave me so much comfort about death actually, because he just looked exactly the same. Yeah. If that, and I know that sounds really obvious, but it's just, there was just all that joy and love and happiness still radiated from him. And it was really, really special. So he still, he still gives me that gift even after, after he's gone. But I do say that I am, although it was very hard to lose both my grandparents and to lose them in quick succession, I'm so glad that they weren't alive to see my diagnosis because I know it would have destroyed yeah. them. It would have been... It, so hard for them so that in a sense for me is a blessing that they never saw any of that hardship mm. and um they both my granddad had alzheimer's and my gran had dementia and they taught us so much within that as well and i remember one of the last things my granddad said to me i went to see him in the hospital and he he would quite often get me confused with my mum which is understandable mm. with the alzheimer's and he was he started to say to me and he'd always worked very hard in his career and he started to explain that actually the job doesn't matter and the uh, money doesn't matter actually at the end of the day if you don't spend time with your family and you don't love your family then what is it all for mm. and that's really really stuck with me of you know at the time I wasn't really aware you know I was I just got a promotion I was kind of thinking like whatever but mm. <laughs> but then a few months later I'm like oh my god he was so right yeah. so that stays with me and that's his legacy with me actually is that memory of you know at the end of the day it's all nonsense if you don't have people that you love yeah so and he really did right until the end so yeah he was very special what um 
you know, you talked about your parents and your tribe, which I, I love that idea, um, having your tribe around you. What are the things around your parents and the qualities that they have shown to support you through this time that you have loved the most? I love these questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my parents are really special. They, um, they're not really like parents. They're like friends. They've been together since they were teenagers. And um, they, just, they just have this almost cheekiness about them as well that um, they just laugh and they get on and they are just, they're just always good fun. I always say to my friends, like when I was like, oh, I want to meet your parents. I'm like, you can't meet my parents because then you want to be friends with them and not me because it happens <laughs> all the time. People like meet my parents. I'm like, oh, your parents come into your party. And I'm like, no, they're my parents. But they're just, um, they're just great fun. They've got really dark senses of humor, which I have inherited. And that really helps when you're going through hardship, actually, to just yeah. be able to laugh at the darkness. But also there's that raw emotion. They're both willing to show their raw emotion and to cry with me and to hold that and that's that's really powerful to know that it's safe for emotion to be to be shared and um my dad you know grew up uh, lived in a house with my mom and with three daughters so he's he's very in touch with his feminine side he says <laughs> and he um he so he will cry and he will show his emotions and that's really really special for me and it's also just that love, like we just are so open about how much we all love each other and how much we all matter to each other. And um, it's just that feels like a quality that not not every family has. And I feel really, really special, really lucky. And it's really special to have that. Um, but I know how hard it is for them. So I'm the baby of the family and you don't really expect any of your children to get this sick, let alone the baby. And I really feel that pain for them. And one of the things I say is hardest about my diagnosis isn't, you know, knowing how serious it is or the fact I'm medically terminal, but it's it's having to cause the people you love so much pain and knowing yeah. that there's nothing you can do about it. And so whenever I get news at the hospital, it's ne the news never phases me, but it's knowing that I then have to make those phone calls or have those meetings with family. And that's really hard because um, they're people you love and you don't want to cause them pain. And no. And they're very loving and very kind and they always say, but it's not you causing it. And I'm kind of no. like, but it, it feels like it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it feels indirectly, but yeah. 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 So, and that feels really hard. Um, but we just, you know, for the most part, we don't really talk about my illness or my cancer. We just really just enjoy and live in the moment. And I think the fact we lost my gran in the January, my granddad in the September, and then my diagnosis the following January has mm -hmm. just really made us all really super close, um, which is really lovely. Um, and just, I'm just smiling to myself because Saturday is my birthday. And so the 12 of us are spending the day together. And I'm just like, I'm just feeling all this like immense joy of just sitting with them all and just laughing and making all those memories. And it's just so important. And I think so many people miss out on that. They're too busy to spend time with family and you don't, you don't get that time back. And especially my, my sister, she's got, tw uh, she's got 12, she's got four kids, she's got 12, <laughs> four kids. <laughs> and it's just so important for them to see those relationships through the generations as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, our children are watching us and what we do yeah. and our behaviours. And if we're sat on the phone, then they too will sit on the phone because they, exactly. they copy us. 
Um, so you're married to Ewan. How yep. did you meet? Oh, God. Um, so we, um, I was doing my PhD at Dundee mm. Uni and uh, I was doing it full time but needed some cash and you can work part time for the university uh, when you're doing your PhD. So I applied for a job in IT and I have zero IT skills, <laughs> none at all. <laughs> and I remember going into the interview and they would they asked me things and I was just really honest. I was like, nah, I don't know how to do that. Don't know how to do that. And I was thinking like, I was, it's just this weird thing. I was like, I'm going to be honest. But I, and then I said, I really want this job and I'm really good at learning things and I work really hard. And afterwards I was like, oh, I've messed that up. But they called me and offered me the job, wow. but said that um, I needed to do some IT training. And Ewan is the IT trainer in Dundee Uni. So I did all my training with him. And um, he says that looking back, he thinks I was ignoring him and just sitting on Facebook, which is true. <laughs> but because <laughs> wow. he says now he knows my social media face, you know, when your face like kind of relaxes and you're just like not engaged with the outside world. He says, that's exactly the face you were making in the training classes. I was like, yeah, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> but um, once I started the job and Ewan would be, I worked in the library on the help desk and Ewan would be doing training classes um, in the room behind my desk. And after every class, he'd bring me um, biscuits, uh, gluten-free biscuits, because I've got a gluten allergy. Mm. And I just thought he was this really nice guy, but like, I actually thought he was gay. Um, <laughs> so I just was convinced he was gay. And um, then there was a Christmas night out and we were chatting away and there was two guys um, that I'd become friends with and they both had girlfriends and I'd just moved to Dundee. Um, the three of us, the four of us were all chatting and I wanted Ewan's phone number and I remember I asked all three of them for their phone numbers but the other two guys knew that I just wanted Ewan's. Um, so afterwards they were messaging me saying like, you know, like, it's a bit cheeky and all of this like because I was just like oh guys I've just moved to Dundee and I need to make some pals and <laughs> can I just get all your numbers so um and then we just started messaging after that and it was in the um the January you and asked me um if I if we want if I wanted to go on a date and I was a bit um I was a bit of a pain to be honest because I was like yeah I do and but he was like what's your favorite thing and I was like snow I, and so he drove for like two hours till we found snow because um, wow. he's just such a sweetheart and I was just a bit of a bit of a bitch I think <laughs> in my in my youth and um, just being a bit of a pain but um, yeah so we had this lovely chat and we just yeah it just went from there and he's just such a lovely man he's just one of the kindest people like every day I'm like how did I luck out with you because he's just so sweet he's just um so like the gift the story I'll give you is that in that chat when we were in the car going on our drive to snow all the way up to Glenshee and he I was telling him about how my dad's birthday is Guy Fox, mm -hmm. and so growing up I used to get really upset that there was always fireworks on my dad's birthday and my birthday's in May and there's never fireworks and I kind of forgot I told you in this story because I tell people that all the time. And then on my birthday, um, you had said to me, oh, I've got a surprise. And we'd only been dating about four months and he he drove me out into the middle of nowhere. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. Like, he's actually <laughs> going to kill me. Like, he's been way too nice. 
like and he's like right just get out of the car and sit there in front of the car I've got to get something out of the boot and I was like oh my god like <laughs> what is happening one of those surreal like I've watched way too many horror movies filled moments <laughs> and he got fireworks out the car and he let fireworks off up this hill for my birthday and I was like oh wow I'm gonna marry you <laughs> like it's just such this beautiful moment and now he always laughs like when it's my birthday he's like I promise not to take you up a hill and make you think I'm gonna kill you <laughs> but it was just so lovely and he's just he's just the most thoughtful person um and yeah he's just really special I'm, I'm getting all teary because he's just and he just doesn't realize how much I love him because mm. I'm still a pain and I'm st- still can be a bit of a bitch but he's just so he's just so lovely um and that's and I always do I always say to him like remember like when we when we first got together like I thought you were gay and he's like he'll say and I thought you were an arrogant bitch and he's like and one of us was right <laughs> <laughs> so he has a dark sense of humor too which well, helps which helps absolutely yeah. how many years have you been together ten ten, ten years. years yeah in yeah. um I I talk about being loved unconditionally quite a lot yeah. and the gift of being loved unconditionally how important has that been for you in your life to be loved so unconditionally by you and oh so important I mean you think so when you started dating I was this um you know <clears throat> muscly long blonde hair young athletic um girl and then you know within a few years become this bony, uh, covered in scars, no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes, with a colostomy bag, very, very sick, you know, sometimes vomited on myself, Some, you know, um, just this, he had to switch into care mode, care mode in a lot of moments. And just that, that he's able to see right beyond all of that and just see right to the core of who I am. It's just so, so valuable because it's it's really hard to, to see you know beyond all that stuff and to see someone at their absolute worst their most vulnerable their lowest you know when I'm crying when I'm angry when I'm um writhing in pain all of this and he just holds it all in unconditional love and he just always just sees me as me and he's he's he calls me Fifi and he's always like but you're still my Fifi like no matter what is going on he'll just keep saying that phrase and it's just really really lovely and I honestly don't know how he does it because I always say if the roles were reversed I would have found it so hard to be that pillar of support I absolutely love him unconditionally but that pillar of support that he is is just phenomenal and I think dark sense of humor has helped and I think the fact that we are we're really good friends it makes such a difference like he is absolutely my best friend I tell him everything and we have loads of fun together loads of adventures and it is just being able to see beyond all of this other stuff and just have that deep love that, yeah, it's so valuable. But also, again, is I just know that because of that deep love, the amount of pain my situation causes him and how my situation has not only changed my life, but it's changed his life a lot as well. And that's really hard. Um, but he just, he just holds it all in just such a beautiful way. Yeah. Wow. Do you... Um... What are the most positive moments in your life to date? Have you got some that really kind of stand out to you as being, I remember this as being powerful in my life? 
Oh, wow. I don't know. Um, I find that really hard because I think I genuinely try and find the joy in the everyday. So I don't know if there is specific moments. And I'm just really caught in the wonder, like in the in the awe of the everyday, you know, like of other people, of you know, of my own journey with my illness, of you know, the fa- the fact I'm still here just is like this just constant wow moment. But um I think one of the the happiest moments, um, and it's so cliche but was my wedding day with you. And, and when I walked in to that room to walk down the aisle and just, it's like everyone else just disappeared. And all I could see was you in teary eyed at the end of the, of the aisle. And that was just, it's that moment. Um, but then saying that I'm now just remembering, cause I'm going into it, that January this year, my big sister got married. Mm. And I remember when uh, she got engaged last Easter and I was very sick at the time and I had a very rough summer and then um, I started a trial in the September. But I remember all all I could think every day that I was really ill was like, just get to your sister's wedding. Like, you've just got to get to the wedding. And that day was just so symbolic for me, the fact that I was there, but also we're very close and it was just so, so special to be to be part of that day and the love in the room and because our family is so close and so that I think that for me was the most pivotal moment um because it felt like that had always been my aim was to be there that day and as I was walking down the aisle on her wedding day I was crying my eyes out and I'm not much of a crier so it's very rare for me to cry <laughs> um so uh, and I quite often get called the ice queen so um but it was just so much love and it just felt really special but I think yeah, for me, it is just in the everyday of just finding the joy in the moments. And even when the day is really, really hard, you know, I've had days where I've um, been vomiting on myself in the bath or lying on the floor or in, you know, in hospital after surgery. But there's still joy there, you know, there's still a smile, there's still a moment with somebody. And that's that's the wonder for me. That's the positivity. It's just in the everyday. Love it. What do you think has been one of your best decisions in life um and it can be more than one but do do you have a decision that you go I made a good decision there that was good oh I do love these questions they're so original (laughs) I love it they keep catching me off guard um best decision I think so I'm really I'm one of these ones that believes like, so we make a decision, it's the ripple effects, right? So it's Mm. the, um, so I think, so there's like, when I was 22 in in the last phases of my degree, my hands got trapped in an electric sander and I ended up needing um, skin grafts on all my fingertips and I still don't have feeling in them or any fingerprints. And because of that, I had to get a lot of support from two specific lecturers to finish my degree. And off the back of that, one of them asked me to then do a PhD and I ended up doing the PhD and I then applied for that IT job and then I met you and then I married you. So I think it's in these things, it's not almost for me not about the decisions, but it's about realising that when something, even when something really horrific happens, like my hands in the sander, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be married to you. And I still apply that to, like, so just now my lung collapsed a couple of weeks ago and me and Ewan had to cancel a trip to France because we were meant to be going the next day. But instead, we made the decision to go to London. 
And it's every time something happened, we now have a joke, me and my husband will say, thanks, Lung, because every time something happened that wouldn't have happened if we'd gone to France, that was like, so I handed out some random acts of kindness there. We bumped into a friend. Um, all these little things were just like, oh, thanks, Lung. But rather than looking at the, oh, God, you know, my lung collapsed and I can't go to France and isn't that rubbish and, you know, being miserable. So I think the best decision I've made is actually to be grateful for adversity because it can it can lead to such beautiful things and it it gives me that comfort when I'm going through something really hard of like but I don't know where this is leading you know mm. and it's like um when you talk about um your husband passing away and then that's led to your random acts of kindness and those stories and stuff it's about not focusing on the pain and the pain is real and the pain is there and it's raw and it 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 makes us who we are, but it's about not letting it define our stories and also focusing on the joy that can come from that as well. Does that make yeah, yeah, sense yeah. without without taking away from the pain because it is real and you know, um, and it's and we have to feel that as well. But it's about seeing where that can take us and the joy that that can then lead lead to. So I think that is probably my best decision because that has changed my life. And mm-hmm. if I hadn't had that approach when I got diagnosed with cancer then I wouldn't have done all the things I would have done I I genuinely don't think I'd be alive today because I think I would just would have wallowed in what I was being told about my prognosis and my diagnosis and that's not to say that you know I'm very aware that it's very likely I will die from my cancer but I want as much joy to come from that in the meantime so that when so that my legacy is that but do you know what god didn't she have a good life you know, and so that's my best decision. Sorry, I get quite, I go off on tangents. Sorry. No, I love it. No, it's absolutely <laughs> brilliant and um, an absolutely superb response that people will take a lot from. If you were to pick some key qualities in people that you admire, maybe they're friends or maybe they're people that you've never met, what would those qualities be that you admire about them? Number one is kindness, 100%. Mm. I think um, it's got to be the root or core of every person um, that what that their actions are kind and not just kind to others, but kind to themselves. Because mm. um, it's really painful to watch someone who doesn't love themselves. Mm. Um, because I've been there, I've, I've experienced that self-loathing and I know how hard it is. Um, so I love when you just see someone who's like, oh, look at them doing something for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the second thing is authenticity. I think we live in a world now, especially because of social media, where people feel this need to project this perfect life. And this perfect in, in italics is um, defined by society. And actually, I just love when someone's raw and authentic and you know, just really themselves, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, the dark sense of humour, the laughing at themselves, the helping other people, the showing their vulnerability, the knowing that it's okay to be angry and sad and all of these things. I just love when someone's authentic because I think it's so refreshing now. I I do think there's a shift happening on social media, actually, where people are realising that actually, no, I'm going to I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be authentic. But I really worry about the future generation of being caught up in, you know, looking a certain way. And you see young girls with so much makeup and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just like, just be authentic. Like, you are so beautiful. Mm. Um, 
and so yeah authenticity is such for me so important and kindness mm-hmm. um yeah kind to yourself and kind to others absolutely do you do you believe that we are born equal that all of us as humans are born equally oh wow what do you mean so do you believe that we all have the same opportunities the same things that everything is exactly the same when we're born or do you believe that there are differences that change that cause us to change our path from birth oh wow so i think that um i think i've got a two-sided answer to that which is i think that we we all we're not born into the same opportunities so um some of us can be born into poverty into abuse into you know sadly um racial issues can cause differences um and you know societal stuff it's all nonsense can cause differences but what i think is that we all have the same opportunities if we're willing to work for them and if we're willing to look for the opportunities so what i mean by that is i think that say you're born into a poor family or a rich family i don't think that defines whether you can earn money in your life does that make sense yeah um and i think you can you can work hard to move aside from prejudice that's put on to you and I'm not saying that that's easy um, but I think it's possible so mm. I think that we all have the same opportunities but sadly we all have to work at different levels to get them mm. but I do think that we all have these signposts in our life where these defining moments where we can choose to change and I think life gifts them to us and I think quite often they can be gifted to us as adversity mm. um, and where we've got a decision where we can go down one path or we can go down the unknown path which maybe asks us to challenge some of the preconceptions that we've had in our life prior to that and I think that's where the excitement happens and that's where things change and that's definitely how I felt on my own journey so Mm. if I look at the ectopic pregnancy that was a defining moment and I think I chose the wrong path I chose to not take the lessons and I went for an, um, a promotion and worked harder and harder, but life was like, hey, wait a minute, you, you messed up there. Here, have another another yeah. defining moment and you, and you get that. And I guess that is also about that decision to look for the joy and the adversity. But mm-hmm. I do think we, every single person has, can name at least one defining moment where they had a choice that they either stayed the same or they completely changed who they were and what their life looked like and a lot of that is about is about worth and about um knowing that you're you're worth you're worthy of something better and you're worthy of something different and that you ha- you value yourself enough to give yourself permission to embrace that and to not say i'm going to sit in this adversity forever mm. um so i think that i don't know if that really answers the question no no absolutely spot on does okay that those adversities that um you've encountered how how do you think your mindset became that way that you were able to then turn it into some sort of joy and lessons and i'm going to live life bigger than this was it a mindset that just arrived one day or was it a mindset that you really had to work at in some way and and train your brain to think that way um I don't know. I think, 
So I would say you can't hide your personality once you've once you're facing your own death. So it's really so I think maybe some of it was just personality. It was already already there. But I think it is that I do find I'm constantly working on it. And I think so I do yoga meditation. And I think that really helps me to just be like, just stay in the moment, feel like don't worry about what's happening next month. Like, how do you feel today? What can you do today? Um, so that's really helped. Um, but if you ask my husband that question about me, he'd say it's because I'm really stubborn. I like to prove people wrong. So, <laughs> so it could be that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. But I, it's definitely a mindset thing. Um, yeah. And it is, I'd say, something I work on all the time because there is moments right where I just get really annoyed, and I'm like, mm. this is so unfair, and I throw all my yeah. toys out the pram and. Like, why can't I have the lessons without the short life? Like, but it doesn't work that way. So, no, no, um, so it's just, yeah, bringing myself back into the back into the day and into the moment. Absolutely amazing. Um, so I'm kind of I'm I'm coming sadly to the end of the podcast, and I know that we could talk for hours. Um, I feel, and I'm yeah, sure everyone absolutely. would listen to you for like hours. <laughs> but my final question will be this. What do you believe in the world right now we should be doing differently? Do you believe that we're getting it right? Or do you think that as a race and as a human race, think there should be things that we're looking at and that we're changing about ourselves? We're getting it so wrong, is my, <laughs> my insight. I think there's so many people, and I was one of them, caught up in this rat race of life this pursuit of happiness of success of the perfect body of the perfect house job you know all of this and there's so many people caught up in drama about stuff that they could change but feel like they can't you know like you know you hear the conversations of I hate my partner I hate my job or all of this like you can change that stuff you know um and I think that it all starts with you know that's it's kindness if you're kind to yourself and you're kind to others you you don't tolerate drama and you don't tolerate toxic toxicity in your life and you don't tolerate these things that make you unhappy and I think you know that's that's where the real change is and I say um the other thing is one of the gifts cancer gave me was it taught me to live like I'm dying and it's one of the things I really want people to take away from encounters with me or from reading my book or, you know, reading any of my posts is that if you live like you're dying, because we all are, right? I'm not special because I'm terminal. We're all terminal. <laughs> None of us are immortal. Um, <laughs> and we could die at any point. You know, you could live, leave your house and something could happen. We just don't know. So if we all acknowledge that and truly believed that and accepted it, I think so many of us would change our lives. And that's... It's really sad because don't wait till that perfect moment to do something, you know, do it now. I mean, yeah. I always wanted to be a yoga teacher and I'd convince myself that because I had a PhD in this corporate job, you know, people would judge me if I left all that and became a yoga teacher and what a waste of my education and all these nonsense stories. Mm -hmm. And it's when I got diagnosed that was like, do you know what, it's now or never. And it has been one of the best things for me to do is to train in yoga and to connect with people and to learn the spiritual practice for myself and to help others and it's just it's if you live if I was living like I was dying beforehand I wouldn't have been waiting for that perfect moment I'd yeah. have just made the decision that now's the perfect moment if I want to live my life so so much 
wonderful change could happen if people were kind to themselves and if they realized that they're going to die. So without being a morbid end to your your lovely podcast, but like um, we just don't know what tomorrow holds. So don't moan about what your life has got today. Like change it. Change it. And the world would be a different place if people lived like that. There's so much hate in the media and so much, um, you know, nonsense going on around the world. I don't read the press at all, the news, um, because I read uh, the Good News Network, which is an American thing, which only shares good stories, and it's lovely. Mm -hmm. And they can be like someone saving someone's cat, but, right, that's the kind of stuff (laughs) I want to read about. Um, (laughs) It's the human connection, so... Um, we need to change because we are destroying our race with anxiety and stress mm. and um, all these pressures. And again, it's the future generation. What message are we giving to them? And then we're destroying nature and nature will win. You know, it's nature yeah. will survive over us, I think. So um, we need to find that connection and that kindness and that living for today. Yeah, I mean, you're certainly not ending it on a on a negative note because it is the story that I always tell people and anyone who's worked with me that the only way to live is to understand your own mortality. Absolutely. And 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 I got that gift from my partner, and um, and I'm very grateful every day for that from him because it made me live better and stronger and do different things every day and say if I don't like this I'm going to change it and um, you're so right so everything that you said I was yes 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 Um, um, I'm so sad to say goodbye to you (laughs) today and um, so where can people look up more information about you where can they go for that so my website is fkmonroe which is m-u-n-r-o dot com and then i'm also on social media at fk monroe yes and i've been following on social media and you know if we are what we feed our brains then i would advise people to come and follow you and gain some positivity and light and change their their social media algorithms to something more positive (laughs) thank Um, you so yeah thank you so much fee i appreciate your time i know you're tired and uh And it's very grateful. And I'm sure everyone will absolutely love listening to you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. And I've loved your amazing questions. have got me really (laughs) reflecting on my life. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Fee. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Our Lives podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, do subscribe to us and you can hear more. And of course, tell your friends. Thank you.